When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact, baby! Hey everybody, welcome to Impact Theory. Our goal with this show and company is to introduce you to the people and ideas that will help you actually execute on your dreams. All right, today's guest is an international best-selling author whose books have sold over 15 million copies across 62 countries in 75 languages. He's penned over 20 books, several of which have set sales records across the globe. His book, The Leader With No Title, was a number one bestseller on Amazon, and his mega hit, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, smashed it in the US, was a blockbuster in too many countries to count, has been on the bestseller list in India for more than two years, and is the fifth bestselling book of all time in Israel. His success is not due to fancy marketing, but rather an obsessive focus on ensuring that what he teaches delivers an insane amount of usable information. And as such, he is widely considered one of the world's top leadership experts and his staggering roster of clients includes some of the biggest names on the planet, including Microsoft, FedEx, Nike, GE, NASA, and IBM. He is also one of the most sought-after speakers in the world, and he's appeared on over 1,000 TV and radio shows. Additionally, his social media posts reach a staggering 600 million-plus people a year, and he was ranked as one of the top five leadership experts in the world in a massive independent study of more than 22,000 business professionals. So please, help me in welcoming the founder of the Robin Sharma Foundation for Children, the best-selling author of the 5 a.m. club, Robin Sharma. Welcome to the show, man. Oh, what a great introduction. Thank you so much. Easy with what you're after and what you've accomplished in the time that you've been doing this, which is already pretty extraordinary. And I, having seen you in action now, can say that you'll be doing this for a very long time. It's, It's really pretty extraordinary. And one thing that I want to talk about is that level of energy and enthusiasm. And you talk about that being something that's common among high achievers. How do we cultivate that? Well, um, first of all, congratulations on all your success with the show and all the uh, people that you're influencing. So one of the lines from right out of the 5AM Club is one of the DNAs of legendary is longevity. So if you look at the Picassos, the Jean-Michel Basquiat, you look at the great uh, sports champions, you look at the great history makers, they were much better at energy management than time management. And so we're in a war against distraction right now, and what we really have to do is optimize our energy. How do I do it? Well, I mean, I get to the morning routine, which, which the whole book is based on. But it's really quite powerful because if you start your day with sweaty exercise, you're actually going to activate a pharmacy of mastery that exists in every human brain. I know you love the neuroscience. You're going to release BDNF, which is brain-derived neurotrophic factor. That's going to actually accelerate your processing. 
It's actually gonna repair brain cells that have been damaged by stress. You're gonna release the neurotransmitter dopamine, which is the, the fire neurotransmitter, which we all need as entrepreneurs and business builders and, and servants of humanity. Um, cortisol, the fear hormone is highest in the morning, so exercising first thing in the morning is gonna reduce that. I'm getting into my 2020-20 formula, but I mention it because it is a way to maximize your energy. So talk to us about the 2020-20. I mean, you sort of um, started it there with the, the sweaty exercise, but what's the rest of that formula, which is pretty powerful? Sure. So the new book is all about rising at 5 a.m., and that's because if you look at the great creatives and the great saints and the great humanitarians and the great titans of industry, many of them got up at 5 a.m. Even right now, you've got Tim Cook and you've got Howard Schultz, and it goes on and on. Before the sun rises is the time of least distraction. Before the sun rises where you can build intimacy and fluency with what you want to stand for in your day. Before the sun rises, the luxury and tranquility of the early morning hours, you can do that deep inner work that will allow you to go out in the world and, and play at your best. So what the 2020-20 formula is is simply this. There's three pockets. The first pocket is move, 5 to 5.20. And you get into the sweaty exercise because, like I mentioned, it releases uh, neurotransmitters, it uh, reduces the cortisol, increases your metabolic rate, which gives you more energy. So now, and serotonin as well, which gives you joy. So now it's 520. Fundamentally, you feel different. You have energy. Your state is strong. You've got a fire in your belly, and you've accelerated your focus. 520 to 540 is the second pocket of the 2020-20 formula, which is reflect. We live in a world where a lot of people are busy being busy, but what's the point of being busy around climbing the wrong Mount Everests? And so clarity is one of the DNAs of mastery. You know this, if you talk to the titans of industry and you talk to the people who are really getting traction around their ambition, these are people who have a monomaniacal focus on the few things that matter. They have an obsession bordering on a possession around the few priorities they want to build their life around. And so 520 to, to uh, 540, the second pocket, you write in a journal, you meditate, you visualize, you do what I call in the book a blueprint for a beautiful day. Um, or you just sit in solitude and you think and you ponder and you reflect. And then the final pocket is 5.40 to 6 o'clock and this is the victory hour. Um, the final pocket is grow. But if you look at the greatest billionaires, I've coached many billionaires over the past 20 years. If you look at the greatest producers on the planet, these people have one thing in common. They are ridiculously curious. And no matter how much money they make and no matter how much impact they have, they maintain a white belt mentality. One of the keys to epic performance is a relentless commitment to daily growth. So that's the 2020-20 formula that the 5 a.m. method is built around. And the premise is basically this, as you begin your day, so you handcraft the rest of your day. And if you have consistently great days, you're gonna have consistently great weeks, quarters, year, and a lifetime. So your days are life in miniature and you gotta get those mornings calibrated if you really wanna win. When you were talking about the, obs the obsession that borders on possession, which I like a lot and I think is the thing that's missing from a lot of people's lives. In fact, I'll say that I don't think people know how to want and I don't think they know how to turn a want into a crushing need. And so there's, people have this vague sense that they want something, but they don't know how to, to really cultivate that. How do you help people with that? How do you help them 
light themselves on fire and really commit to something. Tom, I actually believe we are built to want. The very nature of being a human being is we are built to progress. We know that the human brain craves novelty. And we are most alive, we have the most energy, we are most intimate with our best selves when we're progressing towards our mighty mission. So I think we all want. I think what's happened on the planet right now is there's been a great seduction and a great brainwashing. When we are kids, we want. We want to be astronauts. We want to be billionaires. We want to be history makers. We want to do all our dreams. And then, and, and we stand in awe and wonder. And we're full of curiosity and we're loving and we're passionate and we're strong. We're not afraid to be ourselves. But as we leave the perfection of childhood, the hypnosis and the brainwashing begins. Our well-intentioned parents say, oh, you want to be an astronaut? You want to start a business when you grow up? You want to paint like Jean-Michel Basquiat? Be reasonable. And George Bernard Shaw said it better than I ever could. He said, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in adapting the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. So that's our nature, but our parents give us limitation based on their limited psychology and their emotional patterns that they learn from their parents. Then we go to school and we're taught to live in a box, think in a box, dress like everyone else. Don't sing too loudly, don't dream too big, don't be too passionate, and then our peers do the same thing to us, and then society says, oh, genius is the realm of genetics, not everyday people, which has been dismissed by some very good science. You know, I mean, the 10,000 hour rule that we all know from a Florida State University professor, Anders Ericsson, it just confirms so much. So I do think we all want, I think what's happened is we've, as we've left who we truly are, we've contracted and now it's all about staying safe in the world versus going out there and letting our brilliant, our primal genius shine. And a lot of people just have stuffed that pain of disappointment and their doubt really deep inside. And they just um, are addicted to distraction and escapes because they don't want to deal with their potential that they've denied. Take us back. So you um, start out as an attorney, you're a litigator and you write your first book, you self-publish it, print it at Kinko's, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, how do you then take that leap? Like obviously you were beginning to cultivate that, um, the, the traits of the unreasonable man, or maybe it was a process of unlearning, um, but how did you do that? How did you buck all of that and do something new? Uh, Self-growth. You know, we live in a world that suggests the doorway to success swings outward. If you build the business, if you get the jet, if you get the money, if you get the cars, if you get the beautiful spouse, then you're going to be happy. What I believe, and there's a model in the 5AM Club that I think is a very disruptive model, but it's a transformational model. And it's called the Four Interior Empires. And it's not just mindset, it's mindset, heart set, health set, and soul set. And we can talk about it if you like. But I worked on those four interior empires when I was a very unhappy litigation lawyer. Like, I'd made money, I was successful, I had two law degrees. And yet I'd wake up every morning, Tom, and I'd go into the bathroom mirror and I'd look at myself and I was a completely empty person. And nothing 
is more expensive than losing your joy and your peace of mind. And so what I did was I started working on myself. You know, I worked on my mindset and I read all the books and I went to the courses, but that's only your psychology. And I think that's one of the missing links in our field, which is everyone's talking about mindset. But mindset is just your belief system. It's just your psychology. It's, it's very important, but that's 25% of the personal mastery equation. I believe the second piece is your heart set, and I worked on that. Purifying your heart, that's your emotionality, not just your psychology. You're never going to make history dominate your domain and handcraft a world-class life if you've got a great psychology, but you're carrying the pain and sadness, disappointment and trauma of the past. So I worked on my heart set, but that's only the second interior empire. The third interior empire, your health set. Don't die. If you want to change the world, like dead people don't change the world. So health set, biohacking. There's a whole chapter on recovery and the essentialness of sleep. So really getting your health set right. But there's a fourth interior empire that I worked on that allowed me to go out in the world and, and pursue my, my magic. And it's a little dangerous for me to share because I know how many business people you know, follow you and how many entrepreneurs, but I'm going to share it because it's my truth. So it's not just mindset and it's not just heart set and it's not just health set, it's soul set. And soul set has nothing to do with religion. Soul set is about working on your character. So you reaccess your nobility and your bravery and your authenticity and your decency. And you find a cause that's larger than your life. So when you go out in the world every single morning, people might ridicule you because every genius is ridiculed before they're revered. People might throw stones at you, but you use them to build monuments of mastery. People might not understand you because any disruptor is going to be misunderstood. And even if you're an army of one, a Galileo or a Steve Jobs or a Phil Knight, you continue at all costs. So those four interior empires that I go into detail in in the book give you a fiery inner core of warriorship and leadership that allow you to go out in the world and do amazing things. But it all starts with who you are because you'll never rise any higher than what's going on within you. All right, I, we really have to talk about the, the soul set and the heart set. I think those are gonna be the ones that are least familiar to people. So. Um, in the soul set, let's just dive into the, the most maybe controversial one, but I, I actually think people are going to resonate with this. Um, the thing that you talked about in the book that, that really hit me is this notion of being braver, of finding ways to get braver. And I don't know, it was one of those where you're kind of like trying to guess what the person is going to say, and I was so struck by that one. Um, how do we practice getting braver? What does it mean to be braver? And then how does that end up being useful for us? What what terrifies you most go directly there because discomfort is simply growth in wolf's clothing. Um, the, yeah, I mean, the last chapter is, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but it's, it's um, an experience I lived. You know, it's, it's Nelson Mandela's prison cell. Mm. Have you been to Robben Island? I haven't, but I am beyond obsessed with Nelson Mandela, so I know the story okay. very well. You know, I, I, I'd encourage you to go mm. because standing in that, in that cell, feeling the sensations will transform you at a soul level as well as heart set level. So how do we become more brave? Well, 
I went over to uh, Nelson Mandela's prison cell and I stood there and I was shocked. He didn't even have a bed and he was in there for 18 years. Then I went over to the limestone quarry and I saw where Nelson Mandela spent 10 years chipping away at stone to break his spirit because they threw the stones away. And then I saw the showers where this elderly statesman would shower while the young guards would laugh at him. And then in the book I talk about a true fact where he was asked on Robben Island to dig a grave and he, he, he got in the grave thinking he was going to die and the prison guards urinated on him. And my point is simply this, when Nelson Mandela was released from prison after 27 years of total incarceration, the, he invited the prosecutor who was seeking the death penalty to dinner. And he invited the prison guard who kept him in prison for 18 years on Robben Island to his inauguration as president of South Africa. And he was asked, why would you do that? And he said, because if I didn't, I'd still be in prison. And my point is to lead and to become a great hero or an everyday hero. The doorway is through embracing our suffering and doing difficult things. I think pleasure has been promoted too much in our society. Like no great titan of industry, no legendary cellist, no great athlete. You know, the great ones all understand that suffering is the price of greatness. So how do we become braver? You, you, you do the difficult things that you don't feel like doing, but you know have the payoff. Yeah, the hard set. That's a. It's really interesting. And what I liked about it was the way that you talk about. You know, we all have this accumulation of trauma, oftentimes from when we're younger. How do you help people process through that? Like how you've worked with some really high performers. How have you helped them tap into that? And then more importantly, how do you help them process through that? Is it about reframing the event? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. Journaling is profound. Do you journal? I have journaled to say that I do journal would be a lie. You're gonna love journaling. Like I, I do it almost every day. I, I, had, um, I had a show this morning and then I had to set my intentions for you and all your global followers or, or viewers. And so I went back to my hotel room I took a cold shower, <laughs> you know, I've been fasting a lot, so we can get into fasting because I fasted as I wrote the nice. Five sure, Am Club, sure. and that helped massively. And then I pulled out my journal and I sat on my terrace, and I literally started writing about my intentions for impact theory. And so, how do you, how do you move through pain? You journal. Um, if you're going through heartbreak, I mean, we've all experienced heartbreak. What we do is often we repress it because we're not given the tools to process through it. You, you lose a business, people repress it. Someone has a divorce or an illness, oh, mindset, reframe it, psychology. You're swallowing pain, you're swallowing sadness, you're swallowing anger, we're built to feel. Right, so writing in a journal, just getting it out. There's actually something in the 5M Club called the journaling deconstruction because it's not just processing through pain, but to answer your question, that trauma of heart set, you write in a journal, you get it out of your system, guess what? You don't bring passive aggressive into the workplace. 
You don't bring sadness or low vibe into the workplace. You, you're, you're full of your true self in terms of your heart set, which is gratitude, love, appreciation. You know what that does for a business. You know what that does for a human life. So if you're going through a painful time, write that out. Um, almost every day I write gratitude. But I love great restaurants. And so I'll take the business card, and the next morning I pull out my little glue stick, and I glue the business card into my journal, and I relive the experience. Oh, I had dinner with so-and-so. Here's what I learned. I deconstruct it with better awareness. We'll make better choices, better daily choices, better daily results. Imagine journaling like this every single day. You're going to have such acute awareness about when you're at your best, what the great ones do, how to live a life, what you want to stand for, what your core values are. You walk out in the world and you're just radiating possibility in a world where people are addicted to distraction and numbed out. You've brought up distraction before and I know you talk a lot about it in the book. How do we, in this world where it's algorithms are literally being constructed to make sure that they get our attention with as much frequency as possible. How do you talk to people about eliminating that? How do you do it in your own life? How do you create that space? How much time do you allocate to that, that real isolation? Mm. Yeah, the brain tattoo in the book is an addiction to distraction is the death of your creative production. Mm. Your f people's phones are costing them their fortune. So how do I do it? One of the rituals in the book is the tight bubble of total focus. It's, it's based on Edison's Menlo Park. Um, there's a great documentary on what he did, but essentially him and his band of co-geniuses would leave the world, go up to this hill to Menlo Park where they could get into flow state to give credit where it's due, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi of University of Chicago came up with that term, flow, when we're at our absolute best doing magical things in our performance. But that only comes when we get away from the world. So you can play with your phone, or you can be monomaniacally focused on being a history maker and legendary. You don't get to do both. And so building periods of time in that tight bubble of total focus where you leave your phone in another room, where you train your team, or if you don't have a team, you just don't have any distractions, and you ask yourself, what is the one thing I could do that would allow me to go out in the world and, and bring my magic to the world? The human brain has a phenomenon called transient hypofrontality. The neocortex, as you know, it's the, the seat of thinking. It's our monkey mind, it's all the chattering, it's the stuff that says, Tom, you can't do it, Robin, you can't do it, what would they think? What if I fail? What if I get laughed at? That's all the neocortex, it's the crown jewel of brain development. Not our primitive brain, crown jewel. But there's no genius in there. Now here's what I mean. When we get away from distraction, and we find our Menlo Park, or we go work in a quiet place, and we get lost, the neocortex actually shuts down. That's why it's called transient hypofrontality. For a short period of time, our thinking shuts down. The whole model is in the book. And we actually go from brainwaves at beta, down to alpha, down to theta, and maybe even delta. And we stop thinking and we go into flow. In other words, the advanced minds of the world, the great geniuses, Galileo, Da Vinci, Steve Jobs, 
they weren't in the neocortex. They got away from the world for bursts of time, which allowed them to access the human capability we all have to get into flow state and access insights that they went out in the world and then executed on with a world-class team, which totally changed the game. Yeah, it's interesting. Talk to me about impatience. So this is something that I bump against a lot of people on. I, I'm not a patient person. I don't invest in patience. I don't think it's useful. It doesn't mean that I don't play the long game. It doesn't mean that I um, do things that are dishonest just to get ahead or because it would be faster. I wouldn't, but I definitely cultivate impatience. What are your thoughts around patience and what do you mean by being impatient? I'm ridiculously impatient around my mighty mission. I'm ridiculously impatient, Tom, about serving people and bringing value to people. I am very patient with my children. I'm very patient with my team. You gotta love the people around you. I'm very patient with the barista in a coffee shop who maybe is overwhelmed or it's her first or his first day on the job. I'm very patient with the taxi driver who maybe gets lost but you know, that's how they're making their livelihood. So with human beings, I've worked very hard and I'm a work in progress, but I'm very patient with human beings. Going back to leadership for a second, what would you say are the three, if somebody wants to be a truly effective leader, what are three traits that they should cultivate in themselves? Know yourself. I mean, Jack Welsh of General Electric said it really well. Don't, um, don't lose yourself on the way to the top. Warren Buffett said, um, there'll never be a better you than you. So great leaders, again, it's those four interior empires, working on yourself, knowing what, what you want to stand for, knowing what you want said about you on the last hour for your last day, knowing your core values, your top five core values, knowing those, knowing your weaknesses, knowing your strengths. I mean, a lot of leadership Talk isn't about that, but starting with your character and your self-identity, that is really important for a leader. I'd say the second thing for a leader would be, well, getting big things done. You know, you mentioned it in the introduction. It's like ferocious, like a warrior when it comes to execution. Like great leadership is less talk and more do. You know, I, I, it doesn't really matter what the chatter. I mean, it's all about execution, implementation, and and application. So they get things done. And we live in a world where, you know, we pull out the phone, people, oh, I'm going to get this done, and I'm going to get that done. We say to people, oh, I'll send you a book. It doesn't get done. Even worse, it's we lose self-respect from the promises we make to ourselves that we break. That's where it all starts. Like, it's so, you know this, it's so important. You're... Your income, your impact, your relationship with creativity, productivity, and the world. It all comes down to your relationship with yourself. So that would be the second thing about leadership. It's like execution and don't break promises. And the third thing I'd say, um, you know, be crazy. The great leaders are insane. And I say that they're insane to the majority. The great ones are all misfits and they're all weird. I mean, the very nature of being a disruptor and a leader means you're not a follower. And if you're not a follower, then you're not buying the Kool-Aid that society sells you. If you're not a follower, you're not like this all the time looking for likes. 
If, if, if you're not a follower, you dress the way you want to dress. If people criticize you, yeah, they criticize all the great ones. Critics are nothing more than dreamers who got scared and never got off their chairs and got back in the game. So you've got to be willing to be, to 5 a.m. Weird. Who does that? Why not sleep? Leaders have to be willing not to be followers. Well said. What drives you so hard to keep doing this after you've had the kind of success you've had to keep coming back to this and keep pushing and the touring and just like going after it? Be, Tom, because we live on a tiny planet in a galaxy with trillions of other planets. So on our little planet, we're actually, it's a core philosophy of mine. We're, we're brothers and sisters on a little planet. That person, that homeless person was someone's dreams at a time. The person in the restaurant or the hotel, who it's very easy if we're numbed out and not awake, I mean, that's someone's father or mother. And when I look at most people on the planet, it's no judgment. I just, I see people who are, they're in scarcity versus generosity. I see so many people saying, you know, when I was a kid, I had all this creativity. I don't know where it happened. You, you see it every day. You, know, you have all these people, I want to build a business. Oh, I, I, oh, I guess I can't. it's psychology of can't versus mentality of possibility. I see people in pain. I see people playing victim. I mean, wouldn't you agree most people on the planet at some form or another, whether it's with their creativity or their prosperity or their personal lives, they're, they're stuck in victimhood. And I know, I know mindsets. I know rituals and routines. I have systems. And it's not just go out there and live your dream and be happy, happy, happy. I mean, the book shares most of my, a lot of my methodology, the twin cycles of elite performance, the 90-91 rule, the second wind workout, the two massage protocol, the 20-20, like these have worked for my clients for years. So I have the information to serve. You have the information to serve. How can we see people stuck when they have such glory and nobility and decency inside of them? How can we allow that to happen? We have a responsibility. We all have a responsibility. You said that everybody should have core values. What, is, what are some of your most deeply cherished core values? Service above self. In other words, contribution, impact, service. Number two, family. I mean, if I could be a tenth of the human being my two children are, I'd be, a, I'd be, a, I'd be a, amazing family, you know. I, I've worked very hard, but I've really worked hard on my family too. Even trying to be a great son, a great brother, all those things. Mm -hmm. Because we all know to get to the last day of your, last, of your life and say, I made a lot of money and I got a lot of likes and I sold a lot of books and I impact a lot of people and your own family never got to know you, that's heartbreak. Third value, I'm, I'm an aesthet, the French word, lover of beauty. Mm. You know, that's why, you know, that's why I love Los Angeles. Like we were coming over here and it's like, there's flowers, you know, it's whatever time of the year, there's flowers everywhere, you know? Um, 
So I love beauty in art and food and people and sunsets, and that's why I love Rome so much. Now that fourth value would be um, vitality. You know, I, I really do believe that the, the, one of the keys to legendary is longevity. I mean, I want to live till 177. I want to, you know, I, right? I mean, I'm biohacking and I'm resting and I'm doing the two massage protocol and everything possible so I can be rocking my craft and serving as many people as possible when I'm into, you know, I mean, one of the things I'd say is you never want to let an old person anywhere near the inside of your body, right? Because, and we could get into epigenetics and the fact that, we have a chronological age and a biological age, but vitality is important. And then I think the final core value is lifestyle. You know, we can serve the world, and that's very important, I know, to both of us. But I want, it's, life is ultimately a really short ride, and so I want to really be around only people. I mean, I am focused. I only want people in my orbit that bring me joy or fuel my joy. I only want to do the pursuits in my business and career and life that bring me joy. And I only go to places where I feel joy. That all makes a lot of sense. So you've brought up a couple of times now the biohacking part. So going into the health set, let's talk about that. What are you doing? Um, you've got fasting. You've got the obviously the exercise. You've got, sounds like, the massage, two massage protocol. Um, Walk us through what you do to care for yourself to make sure that you hit that 177 number, which I like. It's, it's very far and it's right. very specific. So. Right. Um, so yeah, fasting, a lot of writing the book, I was in fasted state. And for me, it, the way it looks Are you like, doing intermittent fasting? Yes. Uh, but I want to get to 36 hours and then I want to go beyond that. Because a lot of the great creatives and mystics. So for me, it's um, my last meal might be at 9 o'clock, but I won't eat until four o'clock, let's say the next day. When I was writing, a lot of the book was written in Rome, I would get up and have two cups of coffee because coffee is a health drink, awesome antioxidant, magnificent cognitive enhancer. Mm. And plus, I'm in Italy, you know, drink coffee. Um, and then I just, you know, I'm at a hotel that allowed me to have a tight bubble of total focus, so zero distraction. And then I go into that flow state and I would just work on the manuscript in fasted state. And I saved a lot on grocery and food bills. Just imagine it. You know how much time, how much time we spend even eating? Yep. And I'd actually, so, and then it would be like three or four o'clock. I'd be in flow. I didn't even know where the time went. And then I'd ask, you know, call the hotel the front desk. Can you clean my room? I'd go out to the streets and I'd reground and have something to eat. So basically it would be at least 18 hours without food and then I'd have the, f the window of eating uh, where I'd you know, eat healthily. I'm on a Mediterranean ketogenic diet and that's how I do the fasting and nutrition. I just, I know by my energy level and by my mental focus when I'm in ketosis, um, rest, there, like I said, there's a whole chapter in the book on the essentialness of sleep. And, and the, the key piece is this, a lot of business builders, a lot of creative performers, a lot of great a lot of athletes think that it's work harder to achieve more. Well, that's been debunked by science. We all know that we are at our best creatively, productively, and in terms of our performance when we experience intense burst of elite performance and then we make the time to recover. I had a person at one of my events recently, he worked with Usain Bolt and he said, Usain Bolt told him, 
I sleep 50% of the time wow. to allow the training to take effect. Mm. So I, I run these cycles of intense creativity and productivity and I've learned to really rest. I take naps. I've done it since I was 18. And recovery is very important in terms of meditation, visualization or whatever. All right, I could keep going with you, but we have to get you out of here. So before I ask my last question though, tell these guys where they can find you online. Sure, um, well anyone who's interested in the 5AM Club book, it's on in the bookstores, Amazon, uh, it's on Audible. Anyone who also uh, can find it, it's at the5amclub.com. And I think it's important to say a lot of books, um, they don't have a support system. And I really wanted to serve people and really help. So at the end of the book, there's actually a 66 day, because that's the amount of time according to University College of London to install a new habit. There's a 66 day online digital course for free where I mentor people via videos to lock in the 5 a.m. club habit. And it's also important, every, very important to me because every, uh, the royalties from the book, um, a percentage goes to helping me fight leprosy. Wow. Um, yeah, a lot of people don't know about leprosy and I'm, I'm ferociously committed to helping reduce it um, as well. And then I'm on Instagram at robinsharma.com, YouTube, uh, robinsharma.com, yeah, so. Perfect, all right, cool. last question. Yeah. What's the impact that you wanna have on the world? I wanna remind people of who they truly are and when they see Nelson Mandela or Oprah Winfrey, they say, hmm, they did it, but legendary is simply a testimony to ordinary people who thought differently, felt differently, and did different things, and thereby became who they were. And if they can do it, I can do it if I go all in. I want to get that, that message out even more. I love that. Guys, if you want to go all in, let me tell you, dive into this man's world. Like I said, he's written 20 plus books. It is absolutely extraordinary the way that he's able to weave information into narrative. He's been at this a very long time, touching high achievers, figuring out how to make them even better, and he's able to distill that information, package it up, and make it usable to everybody else. I think that he's really one of the most incredible minds in this space. You will not regret diving in and seeing how much of that information you can extract and put to use in your own life. It will change you if you let it. All right, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.